Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that Even though there is there is a judgment coming, there is wrath coming. You have given us your son, Jesus, and he has taken your wrath upon himself. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us his righteousness. Thank you that We do not have to fear wrath or condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. Please enlighten us as we look at this passage today. Please speak to us. Guide us. Please fill me with your spirit, Lord. And each one of us fills with your spirit to learn to understand what your word is saying to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever seen a... uh, Someone, a person, on the side of the road or at a, at a subway station, right, in this ur- urban life here in Amherst, we don't have a subway, but, you know, anywhere, have you seen a person with a sign that says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or, or repent, or you will go to hell, or maybe someone with a, with a megaphone at a busy place, you know, just proclaiming that judgment is coming, that, that, you know, the end of this age is upon us. If I'm honest with you, I feel like whenever I've seen that, that makes me a little cringy. You know, just being, just being really honest, you know, I, I, I wonder, oh, is this really the best method to reach out people with the gospel? And, and, this is totally a side note, but I was uh, recently I, I I was thinking about David and when David uh, when David was fleeing or leaving the city because Absalom his son had taken over his kingdom. Uh, I think I think the guy's name was Shimei or or something similar, but it was a guy that was throwing stones at David, and so one of David's commanders says, "Do you want me to go cut his head off?" Basically, and David says, "You know what?" If God told him to do that, if, if God sent him with the purpose of throwing stones at me, you know, let him do that, basically. That's my paraphrase. So I don't feel as bad about people on the side of the road with signs and things like that, because even though that might not be my preferred evangelistic method, I don't know if God sent him there. And I don't know if God, I don't know if God was appointing someone to go hear that message and use to save that person. But the whole point here is, The message of judgment, the message of this age coming to an end and then the righteous being with God and the wicked being punished, I I feel like that's, that's a doctrine that has become more and more unpopular. I feel like, you know, there, there are many questions that could be posed to that, um, to that particular teaching 
from a you know from a maybe an unbeliever's perspective, from an atheist perspective, or from an, uh, even from a someone who calls himself a Christian but doesn't believe in in judgment or doesn't believe in hell or things like that. Uh, but the passage that we have today and, and the passage that we looked at last week <clears throat> make it very hard for us to avoid that teaching. Make it really hard for us to say, well, you know, we should maybe we should focus more on relationship and on helping my neighbor and, and helping, you know, helping them pick up the garbage from his garden and maybe that way they will be saved. Well, <laughs> This passage today has something very, very different, a very, very different um, uh, message or evangelistic message. And so let's read, let's read this passage uh, today for, for a good change. We have a, a pretty straightforward passage. We have a, a pretty, pretty simple passage, although this wouldn't be a revelation if, if you know, we didn't find a few difficulties. But for the most part, it's, it's very straightforward. So let's read uh, chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put it. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse bridle for, one th- for 1,600 stadia. This is the word of God. So just to give you a little bit of context from this passage, remember that we, we've talked about the, the, the battle between the dragon and the woman's seed and the battle between the dragon and God and how the dragon wants to destroy or wanted to destroy Jesus, but he failed. And, they, and now because he is angry and he knows that he's defeated, he's going after the woman's seed, after God's people. Um, and remember that last Sunday we responded to that question that is posed uh, uh, from from the worshipers of the beast, it is posed as a way of worshiping the beast, right? The question is, who is like the beast? Who can who can fight against it? And we responded to that question, or or the text responded to that question last week with a very resounding, the Lamb. I looked on Mount Zion, and the Lamb stood there with his army, with his one hundred forty-four thousand. They, and most most speci- more specifically. The lamb is the one who can, who can fight against the beast and who can defeat the beast. So this was a very hopeful passage for us. But at the same time, remember that at the end of, of last week's passage or towards the end in verse 12, we read, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. 
those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So even though we encountered a, a triumphal passage with, with the Lamb standing on Zion, on Mount Zion, and his army with him, and, and this army of, of uh, you know, people who go after him, people who obey him, the passage still has a, a, a note of this is not quite the end. Right, because they are still called to endure. If you know, if everything was completed, if everything was done, then they wouldn't be called to endure, right? They would be called to celebrate, to to enjoy. But at this moment, even though the Lord is already on Mount Zion, and even though we are already waging war against the beast, we are still called to endure. Because the beast even though on paper has been defeated, even though by the, by the death of Jesus, the beasts have been defeated, even though Babylon is as good as dead, even though Babylon is, is bankrupt, we look, you know, we look around us and we see, well, these systems seem to be alive and well. The beast seems to have a lot of control. And, and we read in chapter 11 that the beast was given to conquer the saints for, for a limited time. And therefore, there is a call to endurance. And there's also an exhortation and an encouragement for those who die. Right? So again, this is, this is not the end. This is even though the picture is victorious, there are still people dying. People are still being called to endure because there is still persecution. They are still suffering as martyrs. Remember that we propose that the way that we fight against the beast is by dying as martyrs. Right? So these... People are still dying. And remember, this book is an encouragement for the, originally for the seven churches because they are experiencing persecution, because they are fighting against the world, fighting against Babylon, or trying to flee Babylon and fighting against the beast. And so they need this encouragement. But today's passage brings that to a conclusion. Today's passage is hopeful because it teaches us that this endurance that we're called to is not forever. This passage is hopeful because it, it shows us that our battle against the beast, our endurance, our faithfulness to Jesus, our keeping his commandments is not just a, a, a goose chase. Rather, there will be an end to history. There will be a time when finally Jesus will return just as he promised. And he will separate people. He will, he will harvest the earth and he will separate people. He will, you know, the, the, those who are his, those who have received his seal, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus for salvation, they will be with him. But those who continue in their unrepentance, those who continue in their worship of the beast, they will be Part of the grape harvest. And this is not a pretty picture at all. So let's look a little bit more uh, in, in more detail at the passage. So we read in verse 14 that uh, John says, Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So this 
immediately should bring us back to Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, there is a vision of one like a son of man. This is what Daniel 7, 13 and 14 says. Daniel is describing his vision and he says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that is God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this passage in, in, in Daniel has often been, or, or this prophecy in Daniel has often been interpreted as <coughs> Jesus' ascension and Jesus' receiving of his kingdom, receiving the, uh, all of the authority. Now, some people might say, wait a second. Why do you mean Jesus' ascension? I thought that this was talking about Jesus' descending, right? Jesus coming. Well, notice that in the Daniel passage, it's not saying that the one, uh, uh, like a son of man, is coming down to earth. It says he is coming to, to the ancient of days. He is coming to God. So I think it makes a little bit more sense for us to interpret and say that Jesus is going up to the presence of God, is ascending into the presence of God, and it is receiving his dominion. It is rece- he is receiving his crown. And so when we look at this passage, I think the passage in Revelation 14 could be the other side of that coin, or it could be the, 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 you know, the, the, the ascension of Jesus could be the beginning of the fulfillment of, that, of the prophecy in Daniel. And then Jesus' return could be the, the completion of that prophecy where just as he went up and, and, and went into the presence of God and received his kingdom and is now seated at the hand of God, there will be one day where he will come back down But notice how he comes. He comes with a golden crown on his head. So he is already reigning. He is already ruling. He is, remember what he told his disciples, all authority has been given to me. He doesn't say will be given to me. He says all authority has been given to me. So he is coming down wearing his crown because he is already king. He already has dominion. But this time he is coming not going to the ancient of days, not receiving dominion that he already has, but he is coming down and he's coming with a sharp sickle in his hand. And so we move into this image, this analogy of the harvest. Now, this is something that, that John has already, you know, been bringing up, right? When Remember when we're talking about the 144, how it says that they are the first fruits of, of this harvest and they are... Um, they have been redeemed from mankind. So the reason why I said that we have a pretty straightforward passage is because I think it's, it's clear what it's saying. It's saying that Jesus is going to come back and he is going to reap the earth. In other words, he is going to gather all people. He is going to take all people from the earth. Now, you know, one question that we could one question that we could ask is, okay, so Jesus is the one on the cloud, but then there's an angel in, in verse 15. Another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And so the question that we might ask is, okay, so are you telling me that this angel is giving orders to Jesus? 
Well, I wouldn't say the angel is giving orders to Jesus from his own authority, from the authority of the angel, but rather God usually communicates his will. God usually communicates his commands through angels. And so I think that this is coming from the father and the father is relaying to the son, okay, the time has come. This makes sense, especially when you remember Jesus's words saying when his disciples asked him about the end times, about when the age will would finish. And Jesus says, no one knows the hour, not even the angels, not even the son. So he is saying, no one knows the hour. The father is the only one that knows the hour. And so when the time that the father has already appointed comes, he gives his command. This angel comes and relays that information to Jesus. And Jesus then goes and acts and reaps the earth. Now, this, is, this, this should be encouraging for us because, like I said, the call to endurance is not a call to endure forever. It's not just endure for an indefinite time and we'll see what happens. No, it is a call to endure, but there is an end to it. It is a call to endure until we either die, and it says, blessed are those who who, who, who die in the Lord from now on, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So it's a call to either die in our endurance and, and, and die a blessed death or be alive when the Lord Jesus finally returns and reaps the earth. Now, at the same time, <laughs> even though it is a word of of positive, encouraging, I think that we need to remember that whenever Jesus talks about the re his return, it always comes accompanied by warnings. He always says, you have to be ready for his return. You have to be ready. Make sure that you have enough oil. Make sure that you, uh, uh, you know, you can think of all the parables of, of Jesus's return. And so while it is a positive encouragement for us to say, yes, there will be an end to this. There will be an end to this age. It's also a warning for us and say, we need to be ready for, God, for Christ's return. And so my question for you is, are you ready for his return? We don't know when he's going to come back. We don't know the hour. No one knows the hour. Are you faithfully enduring in this battle? Or to put it in Revelation language, are you conquering or are you being conquered? Are you remaining faithful? Are you keeping God's commands like it says in verse 12? Are you keeping your faith in Jesus? So I think that it is good for us to think about these things. I think, I don't know about you, maybe, maybe I'm just projecting my own self here, but for whatever reason, I... <laughs> I don't give a lot of regular thought to the return of Jesus. I don't really give a lot of thought to this reaping, to this end of the age. I don't know, maybe I'm too distracted thinking about all the other theological issues that I find in Revelation, but I think it was good for me to just come to this passage where like there is no... <laughs> There's not a lot of debate. There's not going left or right. It's like, no, Jesus is coming back. And you will either be the first fruits and, and, and be in his presence and be saved, or you will be the grape harvest and be crushed. 
And I think that sometimes what we need is just a really straightforward passage to, to, to wake us up. So as the passage indicates above in, in chapter, um, you know, the, the passage that we saw last week, it seems like the 144,000, these are God's elect, these are God's people. And it says that they have been redeemed from the earth. They are the first fruits uh, for God and for the Lamb. So continuing with this analogy, I, I think that it would be safe to say that when Jesus reaps, when Jesus brings, you know, passes the sickle the first time, he is gathering those who are his. He is gathering those who belong to him, those whom he has saved. He is gathering the righteous to be with him, to be in his presence, to be in his kingdom. But basically, the way that I understand this analogy, unless, you know, I'm completely butchering it, everyone who is not a part of the first fruits belongs to the grape harvest. And, and I think it's probably a little bit confusing because we're probably mixing, you know, wheat harvest versus grape harvest. And, and it's probably important to note is that for the most part, whenever the Bible talks about the wheat harvest, it is on a positive light. It is on a good light. Wheat harvest is usually uh, uh, teaching us something good. It's the fate of the righteous. But for the most part, when the Bible is teaching about the grape harvest, the vintage, that usually means judgment. That usually means the judgment of the wicked. And so the, 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 the analogy, the image transitions from, from, you know, arguably the wheat harvest and moves on to the grape harvest. And this is the part that is, that is sobering. This is the part that is, that is sad to read. Right, so there, there come two more angels. One of them has uh, another sickle. And then a third angel comes from the temple in heaven. Oh, sorry, the first one came, comes from the temple. And then another angel comes from the altar. And the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse bridle for 1,600 stadia. If you're curious about it, one stadia is about 607 feet. And so, I, of course, I didn't do the math. If you have a math question, never come to me. That is not my forte. I looked it up. 607 uh, feet uh, uh, times 1,600 is 100. Well, see, that's why you don't even ask me. My, I'm just going to give you the answer. It's 184 miles of blood. And also, this blood is not, you know, it's not like here. It reaches to a, a, a horse bridle. So it's, I don't know, depending on how big the horse is, but it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of blood. And so, I think that, I think that the temptation would be to think, man, what a, what a bloodthirsty God we, we serve. What, a, what an evil 
God, like how, how can he do that? I mean, this, this picture of his wrath is not pretty. It's awful. It's horrible. But I think that we need to go back to some of the points I made last week. Well, first of all, the fact that God is announcing this before it happens is a merciful act of God. God would not be merciful if he didn't give us an opportunity to repent, right? But in his mercy, in his love, he is giving people many, many warnings. I mean, we looked at the, at the six uh, seals and at the six trumpets. All of these were warnings of the judgment of God. And so God in his mercy is warning us of the judgment that is coming. God in his mercy is warning us of the fate of those who continue rejecting him, of those who continue worshiping the beast instead of giving him the worship that he is due. So this is a merciful warning from God. Even more, and again, this is a point we made last week, but even more so, this is not a wrath that is undeserved. The wrath of God is well-deserved for each and every one of us. All of us deserve God's wrath. Why? Because, well, you can go back to Romans. Because instead of worshiping Him as God, we worship the creatures rather than the Creator. Because instead of thanking Him for what He did, we went on and worshipped other things. We went on in, in uh, unthankfulness and idolatry. And so God is right. God is just in punishing us. God is right and just in pouring his wrath on us. But God is so merciful that he sent his son Jesus and he poured his full wrath on him. Maybe, maybe you could say, well, yeah, but, you know, but, but he is, he, why so much wrath? Like, this is just so terrible. Well, again, I, I don't think we can argue with God, but if you could, maybe you could say, man, this is just terrible. But once you get to the point of God saying, well, I sent my son, Jesus, I gave my son for you. I love you so much that I sent my son, Jesus, and I poured my wrath upon him so that you would not have to experience my wrath. That's when we are left with an argument. That's when we cannot answer back and say, well, but, but, no but. The argument is simple. We have sinned against God. We deserve his wrath. He sent his son Jesus, poured his wrath upon him, and everyone who accepts the Lord's sacrifice can escape his ultimate wrath. But someone who has been rejected him for so long, someone who did not worship him as God, someone who did not repent of their sins, someone who rejected the sacrifice of Jesus, I think it is only fair for God to pour his wrath on those who continue rejecting him. It is also a sobering warning because Again, this passage is teaching us that there will be an end to the age 
This will not go on forever. Just as the saints are called to endure, but they're not called to endure forever. The call to repentance doesn't go on forever. There is an end to it. Once God the Father gives the command to the Son to harvest the earth, the time is up. The opportunity to repent is over. And so, while this is a merciful warning from God, it is also a sobering warning because all of this, sorry, because everyone who does not repent will be destroyed and there will be no more opportunity to repent. I want us to turn to um, Matthew 13. And here in Matthew 13, we're going to find a parable that Jesus told that really sheds some light into this into this passage. Matthew 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then, how then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants, sorry, he said, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root out the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then he goes on to tell another, another uh, parable. Matthew explains the, the purpose of parables. And then in verse 36, then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the, in, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burnt with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his, they will gather out his, I'm sorry, they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin, and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who, he who has ears, let him hear. I think this passage sheds a lot of light into our current passage. And at first glance, when I read this parable and I read the, the, the you know, and, and I was thinking about our passage in Revelation, I was thinking, well, you know, this seems to be kind of contradictory. One of the points that, that stood out to me was that um, the, the, the weeds are gathered up first and they are gathered out of God's kingdom. And this, I think this stumped me because I think partly, you know, because of my my upbringing and my theological, uh, you know, 
basically just what I was taught my whole life. I always thought, well, you know, there are, this is the age, and then there's a time when Jesus comes, and there's a rapture. He takes the good, not the good, but he takes his, his, uh, his people, he takes them out of the earth, and then, you know, there's a, a either seven years or, or three and a half years of, of tribulation, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but it stumped me at first. And when I was reading Revelation 14, and I read that the, the, the 144 are the first fruits who have been redeemed out of the earth, I thought, okay, you know, in light of all of this, first fruits, okay, so that goes first chronologically. And then I thought, and they are redeemed out of the earth. So I was thinking, okay, you know, maybe, maybe there could be a, a good case here for 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 our, uh, a rapture before before the tribulation or whatever. But then I was reading this passage and I was like, okay, so what's the deal here? This seems to be a little bit contradictory because in this passage, the kingdom is here on earth and God is taking out of the kingdom those who are wicked. And, and in the Matthew passage, it actually seems more clear. The chronology of it seems more clear that the wicked are taken out first. So I do not claim to you know, have completely uh, figured out all of these details. I, th- I think it's still a very complicated uh, um, topic. But this is, this is what I get thinking after, you know, after reflecting on this. So far, it has been difficult to, to trace the, the chronology of Revelation. So far, it almost seems to me like Revelation is presenting pictures and they're not, some of them I believe are in chronological order. Some of them, it, he almost seems to be going back and talking about the same topic, but maybe expounding it a little bit more. But another thing that, that, we have, that I have noticed about Revelation, and I hope that, that most of us have noticed, is that there are a lot of times when the main point is not so much the chronology of events, the order of events, but the main point is the theological principle that it is trying to communicate. It is, what, what is the point of this passage? And so I don't think that the point of Revelation, or you know, particularly Revelation 14, I don't think that the point is to say who's going first or who's going last or, or where are they going or where are they not going. I think the point of Revelation and, and also the point of Matthew is that separation of people. One of my professors in, in, uh, in college, I, I didn't agree with a lot of his theology, but he said one thing that, I, that really stuck with me. He said, you know what? In Thessalonians, it says that we will always be with the Lord. And so I trust that whatever the order is, and I trust that wherever we end up going or not going or staying, I trust that we will always be with the Lord. And I think, that, I think that that is the point. I think that that has been one of the main points that Revelation has been trying to communicate over and over. That those who belong to him are with him. Whether it be, you know, on Mount Zion fighting alongside him. Whether it be in a, in a thousand year kingdom. Whatever that means, we're going to get to it and it's going to be fun. But whether it be in a thousand year kingdom or whether it be, according to Matthew, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whether it be in his kingdom, whether it be here on earth, whether it be in heaven, whether it be uh, at the altar, it, 
The point is, we will always be with the Lord. Those who belong to Him are with Him. He is with us. The 144 are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We are with Him. But the inescapable point here is that there is a separation. Not everyone is with the Lord. Not everyone will be with the Lord. There is a separation and there is a different fate for different people. And the division is so straightforward that it's, I don't, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just used to so, so much controversy in the book of Revelation that when I find something as straightforward, it's like, yeah, this is it. You either are in the presence of God in his kingdom with him forever reigning with him or you experience his wrath and are crushed like or with the grape harvest. And so I go back to the same point and, and, I, and I want to finish with this. Are you, are you ready for the harvest? Are you ready for the time when God gives the command, Jesus returns with his crown as king, but with his sickle ready to reap, ready to make that division very clear? It, here in the parable of Matthew, it seems like both the weeds and the, and the wheat are growing together and the division is not as easily perceivable. But when Jesus comes, the difference will be very clear. And those who are him, his will be with him. And those who are not will experience his wrath. And so are you ready for that harvest? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? And if so, are you continuing in obedience to his commands? Are you keeping your faith in Jesus? Are you being a faithful servant of his? Are you putting the gifts that he has given you to good use or did you bury them in the ground? Are you ready for the harvest? And once again, God has already provided the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. He has already poured his wrath on him. And so in getting ready for the harvest, I think that the, the first and foremost thing that we have to do is make sure that we are relying on the sacrifice of Jesus. Make sure that we are trusting him for salvation. It would be dumb for us to, to, to know that God has already provided the way to be saved and say, actually, no, thank you. I'm going to figure out my own way. I'm going to do it my way. No. He has already provided the sacrifice. He has already provided the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for this straightforward reminder, reminder of your harvest. We thank you that this call to endure is not a call to endure forever, but that there will be an end to this age. 
And God, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us who have received his salvation and, and his forgiveness and his righteousness, we look forward to this day with joy, with expectation, with hope. Because we know that our end is secure. We know that we will always be with you. But I pray that you give us a, a heart. I pray that you give us a, a, a burden in our hearts for those who are lost. For those who do not have this assurance. That we would continue to wage war against the beast by proclaiming the eternal gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.